It is Aleph Laseder Vayakel Pekude Yud Tes Oder, and what is being recorded now is what Bezras Hashem will be presented on Shabbos this coming Shabbos. The uh, Kiddush Chant and Learning Program was originally to be entitled "A Hundred Brachas Each Day." The topic was based basically upon the Baal Haturim, a comment of the Baal Haturim in this week's Sedra. The Kosek says, Vayhi ma'as kikar ha-kesef, otsekes es'adne ha-kodesh, es'adne preches, me'as adonim, ma'as ha-kikar, kikar lo'oden. The Kosek describes the silver that was used as a support for the adonim. There were a hundred adonim, a hundred uh, staves, poles that were used to support the Mishkan and the Balhaturim comments that this is a smach, it's a kind of an allusion to the hundred brachas that a person is supposed to recite every day and that's because the brachas are as Adonim explains the Balhaturim, they're there as supports, they are staves, poles that are used to support the Mishkan and just as the Mishkan had Adonim which served to physically support the walls of the Mishkan. Similarly, the Brochus, those are the poles that support the life of a Jew, and every Jew recites these Brochus each day. Those are the focal points of the day, and those are what supports the individual's spiritual and indeed even physical life. The topic has been changed uh, the topic has now become 100 brachas each day and the coronavirus. Very little, if anything, is left to coincidence. The coronavirus and the cetera are very closely connected. They're closely connected because we have this remez, this allusion to 100 brachas every day, and the sources for 100 brachas every day are multiple in number. But one of the most significant of the sources relates it to David HaMelech. There are a number of sources that relate the Meyabrochus to David HaMelech, indicating that it was uh, King David who instituted the Hunter Brochus. But the Rushalmi, uh, which is cited in the Siddur of Rashi, apparently it's not in every one of the, pub- of the published versions of Yerushalmi, but the Yerushalmi states that David was Mesakin, the hundred brachas, Kishayidiyuhu Yeshu Shalayim Shemesim Yisrael Meyab Neodon Bechol Yoyim. He was informed by people of Yerushalayim that there were a hundred hundred people who were dying every day of some type of epidemic, and the reason wasn't clearly known. Vitikein meya and 
David HaMelech proceeded to institute a hundred brachas to recite it each day. Dixiv Num Dovi Ben Yishai Un Um Hagever Hukam Al. The words of David Ben Yishai, the words of the individual who was Hukam Al. He was raised Al, and the Mitsudis translates the word Al as meaning that he was Hukam Above, he became raised above the other people. And uh, Al is bigamatria of Meya, Ayin and Lamed, 70 and 30. Together, there were a hundred, the number equals 100. The gematria of Al is 100. So, uh, people were dying every day, and they had no idea why this was happening. Achebo David Hamelech until David came Vitikain Meyabrochis and he established he ordained the recitation of a hundred brochis and uh, when that was instituted the uh, epidemic stopped. It's clear that David Hamelech understood that brochis was or brochis were a prophylactic, a form of preventive medicine, and would prevent the spread of this epidemic, the Magefa, that was then raging in Yerushalayim. The relationship between the Meabrochus and the cessation of the epidemic is certainly not something that we can understand as a cause and effect relationship, but apparently there is such a connection between them. And if Brochus serve as a preventive medicine with regard to an epidemic. It's certainly the case that Tfilo Bitsibur is an even more effective uh, preventive for the spread of an epidemic. The question then is, and what are the parameters? Uh, how is this supposed to be applied in practice? There are a number of principles that are involved and it's necessary to analyze the nature of those principles and then to apply them. There's certainly room for disagreement, but the disagreement is not going to be with regard to the principles themselves, or even with the analysis of the principles, but application in any concrete situation. And whatever I'm saying today is said under the conditions that prevail now, and not necessarily the same conditions that will exist on Shabbos, and certainly not beyond. And they're the conditions as they exist on the upper west east side of Manhattan, not necessarily in other places. But the first principle that has to be examined and applied or not applied, is the principle of shluchim mitzvah einon nezekim. The Gemara says the people who are engaged in a mitzvah are not going to suffer harm. And the Gemara says it specifically in the case of Talmidim, who lived in uh, villages outside of the main population areas, and they were coming to the base medrash early in the morning before it was light, and going home in the dark, and there was a certain 
element of danger involved. Rashi calls them mazikim. We don't have to analyze what they were. And the Mara says that these uh, Talmidim, they were going to the base Medrash and returning at night without fear because shluchim mitzvah in And the Gemara then proceeds to say that there's a difference between ordinary circumstances and a case in which it's shchicho hezeko. It's only under ordinary circumstances where you're dealing with ordinary danger that the schus mitzvah, the merit of the mitzvah, will protect and will prevail. Where there is some inordinate or danger that which is out of the ordinary, under those circumstances, the uh, the concept of shluchim mitzvah einon zekim doesn't apply. Uh, there was an incident some time ago, many years ago, in which uh, practice associated with Mila Mitzitza Balpe uh, did present a certain amount of danger, which can be eliminated if you take the proper precautions. And uh, uh, was consulted with regard to his opinion, and he was told that he responded by saying that people should continue the practice. His son, I am told, said that uh, he doesn't quite understand because Moshe himself thought that oral suction wasn't absolutely necessary for purposes of doing the mitzitzah, of drawing blood from the open wound. And Moshe's response was, he was asked that you yourself think it's not an absolute necessity. Why should people continue doing it? His response was that even a minute Yisrael is of a nature such that it can serve as a preventative with regard to ordinary types of sakona, and he considered that to be an ordinary sakona, not one which is uh, of greater prevalence than other things in life, and he advised that the practice be continued. The, the situation that we're talking about now is clearly a situation of shchicho hezeko. The uh, potential for danger is certainly above the ordinary, and the uh, uh, the promise of shluchim mitzvah certainly does not apply under contemporary conditions. So then we have to talk about the other principles that do apply, and we really have several different principles to analyze and see how they apply to the current situation. The first is a principle of Shemer Psoim Hashem. The Gemara quotes the Posik that the Rabbani Shleilom provides for the simple. He safeguards and watches over the simple. And the term Pesi in those circumstances is significant. The term Pesi means in context a person who is simple. He does not question too much. He doesn't really analyze things. And this person is permitted to go about his business as usual. And uh, the Rabbani Shalom will ask him if he doesn't ask too many questions. The Yiddish expression would be Iber Klugin. Individual is not supposed to be too much of a chacham, don't ask too many questions, and don't be overly careful. 
It means that people are supposed to go about their daily lives without paying too much attention to the fact that there is nothing in the course of ordinary life, daily activities, which does not present an element of danger. A person gets up in the morning and he is perforce making life-threatening decisions. He is in a position in which whatever he does is going to be fraught with danger. He can decide that he's going to stay in bed and not get up, in which case he is placing himself at risk for throwing a thrombosis, a blood clot. He can get up and he has many, many dangers during the course of the day. He can bump his head against the wall as he gets up and he can uh, then suffer uh, a bleed in the brain and this can also present a danger to him. Uh, The danger is a real one and he's got a choice and whatever choice he makes, either stay in bed and face one danger or get up and face another danger. The choice is his. He's best advised not to think too much about it because if he thought too much and dwelled upon the various and the myriad dangers that he's going to face in the course of the day, he would probably become paralyzed with fear. It certainly wouldn't be, uh, be good for his mental health. And that's the principle, Shem Rav Hashem. You're best off not thinking too much about it. Uh, and to rely upon the Rabbani Shalom, a little bit of faith in the Bitochen goes a very, very long way. Uh, the situation that we are confronting is certainly beyond the situation of an individual who is in the state of a pessy, the person who doesn't ask questions, doesn't confront the danger, doesn't really fully appreciate the dangers that he faces. We have no choice. The media draw our attention to the danger every day, every hour of the day, and it's impossible to shrug it off as something which need not be thought about too much because it's there and is all part of life. We have other dangers and other rules, other principles that have to be that have to be uh, confronted in terms of analyzing the contemporary situation. The concept of Shem Hashem is basically a definition of the threshold of what Halacha recognizes as a danger. The point of demarcation because between the type of danger which is permissible with equanimity and other kinds of danger which fall into different categories which we'll talk about in a moment. Basically, while there are a number of sources dealing with the concept of Shem Soim Hashem, the Rabbani Shalom preserves the simple, it is basically a situation in which the danger is not an immediate danger and statistically speaking, the danger is remote. When the danger is neither immediately nor imminent, generally this is the type of situation which is acceptable, and one need not give it a second thought. There is a classic tshuva of the Nebuchadnezzar devoted to the topic of Shem Ripsoim Hashem. 
he was asked whether it is permissible for a Jew to go hunting. And the questioner was talking about hunting for purposes of sport. He enjoyed this activity for one reason or another. The Nader Behuda responded by saying that hunting is a dangerous activity and that Jews certainly shouldn't engage in that type of activity. There is a clear danger which everybody perceives. But he adds that if the individual is hunting because he's a trapper or whatever, he sells the furs, the animal, uh, under those circumstances, he says it's permissible, and cites a statement of the Gemara. The Gemara is explaining why the Torah says that if you hire a workman, he must be paid in a timely manner, he must be paid immediately. The Pazik says, A love who nafshai, he has uh, taken his life in his hands, literally, when he goes to work. And the example is a person who climbs tree to collect or to pick the fruit of the tree. There is a clear element of danger involved, and the person is doing it anyway. Now, Yehuda develops this notion that, that a perceived danger, at least of a certain limited category, is entirely acceptable and is permissible for purposes of earning a livelihood. Uh, perhaps the reason is that if you don't earn a livelihood, you also face a danger. And it's really a matter of one danger versus another danger. But it is clear that this concept of Shemir Psalim Hashem uh, is a limited concept. It also uh, depends upon perception. It is not simply a matter of statistics and not simply a matter of imminence. Uh, it does have a lot to do with perception. If there's a type of activity that people assume with equanimity, it means that you have a right to rely on Ashkoche, a right to rely on the Rebbeinah Shleilam. If people do not accept it with equanimity, they are not, quote, simple, close quote, but they examine the nature and decide making all kinds of calculations, risk-benefit ratios, whether they want to engage in this activity, whether it's worth their while or not, this is no longer in the category of Shemer Psoim Hashem, which is why the present situation is not in the category of Shemer Psoim Hashem, regardless of what the statistics might or might not be. People are being warned, and people are appropriately taking the warnings seriously. So we are no longer dealing with a situation of Shem Rupsoyim Hashem, uh, but we are dealing with the question of whether despite the fact that there is a recognized risk and people are analyzing the risk, confronting the dangers involved, is this an acceptable danger or isn't it an acceptable danger? So we now have uh, other principles that have to be applied. The second of the principles that has to be considered is the question of uh, Chazal tell us that a person should not place himself in a situation in which he faces a danger. The question then becomes, and what is the threshold level of danger with regard to which they said, it's prohibited to place yourself in that type of situation. 
The Gemara's example is a Kir Notui. You have a building, dilapidated, it's on the verge of falling down. You're told that don't walk near that wall, don't walk under the wall, because any moment it can fall upon you. That danger is a significant danger, and the Gemara says that it's prohibited. It seems to be virtually blanket prohibition. So we have, on the one hand, the type of sakone which the Gemara describes as kvar doshu birabim, the multitudes have already accepted the danger with equanimity and without question. That is shemr psoim Hashem, since everyone's accepting it. Uh, we're not even supposed to think too much about it. And then you have a clearly recognized danger, and there Chazal tell us that it's not acceptable at all. Uh, in the uh, present situation, if we have to categorize different individuals and different activities, it would seem to me that somebody who is uh, already immunocompromised, his immune system is not functioning the way it's supposed to function, or this individual has respiratory problems, the person has asthma, or for other reasons, his lungs are not operating uh, the way they normally should lung should operate. Person has asthma, and I would add to those categories people who are heavy smokers, and people who are heavy smokers have diminished lung capacity by definition. And if you contract the uh, the virus, you are likely to compromise those lungs even more. That that is a clear and present danger for those people who are dealing with a situation of osar sakona. You have an actual prohibition against placing yourself in a, uh, a situation involving a recognized danger. Why then does the Nedibihuda recognize an exception for purposes of earning a livelihood? We have a third principle which has to be analyzed, and that is the statement of the Gemara that Tzinim Pachim Derech Ikesh. Tzinim includes the common cold, viruses, things that you catch when you're exposed to the elements. The other machle that is included in that phrase is sinim pachim, and that's uh, the heat. Things that come from cold or heat, says the Gemara, are derakikesh. A uh, person exposes himself to those things. This is the want of an ikesh. An ikesh is a person who's a little bit warped. He's got a little, he's somewhat crooked in his uh, mode of life. He accepts risks that he shouldn't be accepting. He exposes himself for, to things which he shouldn't be exposing himself. And Chazal were clearly negative when they spoke about Tzinim Pachim as being Derek Ikesh. This is an individual who is doing something which is not universally recognized as being innocuous simply because it's not innocuous. The level of danger, uh, the chances that you will catch one of these diseases, this one of these sicknesses are rel is relatively high. Uh, and the person who exposes himself to this is a person who isn't thinking very clearly. He's got a kind of a crooked mind. It's warped. Note Chazal didn't say that sinim pachim are prohibited. He doesn't say also. It, when it talks about a mokim sakona, it says oser lamoid b'mokim sakona. It's prohibited to accept 
an inordinate risk, a risk that's seen in Pachim, the Gemara says, is it is a the practice of a person who is foolish, but it's not necessarily prohibited in all circumstances. What I think it means is that there is this intermediate category of uh, risks that a person should be cognizant of. You shouldn't dis- just dismiss them because everybody does it and therefore I can ignore it also. And doesn't rise to the level of a sakona, which is absolutely prohibited, but it's something intermediate, and it seems to me that this is a this is a category which requires discretion. The Neidibihude understood very well that the posik is telling you that a worker is entitled and permitted to risk his life in order to earn a livelihood. And the type of risk that we are talking about is a risk which is intermediate in nature, not the common risk assumed by everybody, even for no real reason, no really good reason, and not so great a risk that is prohibited because it's mokim sakona. But this intermediate category of risk which has to be weighed and you take everything in consideration, the pros and the cons, and you make a determination. Earning a livelihood would would render various risks of that nature permissible. And there again, one has to carefully distinguish between categories of risk. But it's clear that if you make this risk-benefit calculus, in some circumstances, it's permissible. Uh, and the question is, if we're dealing with the present situation, uh, how do you define the the Tzinim Pachim Derech Ikesh, which has to be analyzed and may be permissible under the circumstances, may be wise and prudent under the circumstances, and may be worse than foolish, but be the, the want or the practice of a person who isn't thinking straight, is mind is working, operating in the way of an ikesh, somebody who does not think in straight lines, but is engaged in a kind of warped form of reasoning. The I think that the matter is probably best illustrated by Rav Unterman. A person has no obligation, halacha, to place his life in danger in order to save the life of somebody else. He doesn't have to risk his own life in order to save the life of another individual. Question is, how do you define a risk for those purposes? Rav Unterman Zuchreinu the former chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, uh, presented a sort of rule of thumb in defining the threshold level of danger to be applied in such circumstances. Now, he says a person should ask himself what he would do in a situation in which he stands to suffer a significant financial loss. Uh, You have a situation, for example, in which a person has a little package and in the package there is a diamond ring and there's a a storm at sea and the ring is swept out of his hands by the, uh, the, the wind and it's now overboard. This person is a very good swimmer and the risk to himself is minimal. 
would he go overboard in order to save his reign? And the answer is, if he would go overboard to save his reign, the rule that he should apply is that somebody else's life should be as precious to him as his diamond ring, and he should place himself in this danger, not danger, danger which is completely non-existent, but a danger which is a little bit more than negligible. He ought to be able, he ought to take the risk in order to save somebody else's life. The other person's life should be as precious to him as his own fortune. On the other hand, if you're dealing with something uh, which is negligible, a person would not go overboard in order to save something which is totally negligible. Under those circumstances, that would be foolhardy. So the person has to determine whether the degree of danger that he is undertaking is the kind of danger that he would undertake in order to save something which is very valuable and precious to him. And he should do the same thing with regard to saving a person's life. Now, when we're talking about Tzinim Pachim Derech Ikesh, the kind of um, risk that is foolhardy, it seems to me that what we ought to be doing is making the same kind of assessment in reverse. If we are talking about uh, placing oneself in danger for uh, monetary gain, which is negligible, I think that most people would recognize that you don't go overboard uh, in order to retrieve a swatch, wristwatch. Uh, the swatch wristwatch is of very minor value, and nobody assumes a significant danger in order to save the wristwatch. Uh, if you are talking about a Rolex, the matter might be different. If it's worth thousands of dollars, you might assume the risk in order to conserve something which is of uh, significant value. If you are now talking about uh, monetary gain, if it is a person's source of livelihood and he has to assume certain risks in order to earn a living, people assume those risks in order to earn a livelihood, not because they consider the risk to be so negligible as to be insignificant, but they have carefully weighed the risk and the need for the risk to himself. And we have a case of which we have Sinim Pachim, which is no longer Derek Ikesh. It's not only a fool, foolhardy individual who does things like this, but this is a measured risk and the person assumes the risk because under the circumstances he thinks that it is appropriate to assume the risk. There is danger out there. The danger is statistical in nature. The danger is not imminent, but it's no longer it's no longer the risk of a pesi. Means only that if you can suppress the knowledge of the danger that you face, the Rabbinish Leilam will exercise Hashkocha over you. He will have Rachmanus, as it were, he will have mercy on you because you literally don't fathom the extent of the danger. However, if you try to taunt the Rabbinish as it were, 
thinking that you deserve his guardianship and his providential care, and you assume risks that you really shouldn't be assuming, evil Knievel style, the Rabbani Shloilam tells you in advance that he is not going to take care of you under those circumstances. He will not exercise his hashkoche with regard to you. The situation that the Nehdi was addressing when he said that it is permissible for purposes of uh, parnosa for earning a livelihood, but it wasn't permissible for other purposes, are situations in which there is no automatic guarantee that the rabbinic Leilam will guard you. It's a situation in which you are not a ikesh if you determine that it is worthwhile to take the risk. Again, as I said before, it is sinim pachim derech ikesh. This is the way a person who doesn't have a proper sense of values behaves in general. But it doesn't mean that it's also. It means that in some circumstances, it is entirely rational. If it's rational, it's no longer a derech ikesh. It's no longer the way of a warped individual. And that involves a, uh, a weighing of different values. What is it you're trying to achieve? And what is it that you are risking? How much are you risking? Uh, and that, Nebuchadnezzar said, the type of danger which is involved in the hunting, and it certainly is a danger, and people who think that guns are innocuous are simply wrong. Even possessing a gun is a danger, and certainly using a firearm, even in pur- for the purpose of hunting, represents a significant danger. If you're doing this because you have to earn a living, then you're was willing to accept that. If you're doing this for a frivolous reason, he says that's Aesov. Aesov is a, uh, the Targum says, a Nach Shirchon. Uh, in Yiddish, we would call him a Ledegeir, something, somebody who's, you know, he's, he's, he's not a very serious person to start with. The question is, is it for a serious purpose or isn't it for a serious purpose? It's a question of weighing one value against another value. If it's simply sport and recreation, those are frivolous values when you compare them to the risk to life. So similarly, when you're talking about exposure to the coronavirus, the question is exposure for what purpose? If the purpose is significant and the risk is relatively minimum, uh, relatively minimal, then it is prudent to accept the risk in order to achieve whatever value it is that you're seeking to achieve, whatever it is that you want to promote. If the value and the purpose for which you're assuming the risk is very significant and the danger is relatively low, then it makes sense to assume the risk. If you're uh, involved with something where the risk is uh, greater and the benefit is lesser, the value that you're trying to achieve is not terribly significant, then this again turns into a Derek Ikech. Uh, if you have a person who, for example, uh, is coming home from work at 5.30 in the afternoon on Friday, 
uh, he is exposing himself to a ride in the subway, which is a high-risk activity in terms of the coronavirus. And when he comes home, and now he has to make a decision, does he go to shul or doesn't he go to shul? The danger in shul is probably a lot less than the danger in the subway. So he's saying, in effect, that whatever I was doing that warranted coming home in the subway is much more important than going to shul because I accepted the risk in the subway to come home from the office, but I'm not willing to accept the same risk for tefillah b'sibur. You have, again, the person who didn't go to shul on Parshas Porah, even though hearing the reading of Parshas Porah is a biblical obligation, according to some Rishonim. And then immediately after Havdola, he goes off to a theater where the risk is probably higher than the risk in Shul. A theater in which people sit next to one another uh, poses a greater risk than the risk that he faced in Shul. He, in effect, is saying that the risk that I'm accepting for uh, attending the theater is uh, worthwhile to me, but I'm not willing to accept the same risk in order to have Tfilibisibur or the same risk in order to hear Parashas Parah. In point of fact, uh, there are ways to minimize the risk uh, of contracting uh, the coronavirus uh, so that uh, you can, in effect, have your cake and eat it too. The uh, people who are well-versed in immunology, I'm sorry, the people who are well-versed in epidemiology tell us that the coronavirus does not usually spread if people are distanced from one another a matter of six feet. You know, six feet is roughly Daladamus. The Hachoke, distancing yourself from the danger to the point of four Amis, and in this case six feet, seems to be enough to ward off the danger of contracting uh, the coronavirus. Uh, the coronavirus is spread primarily by little droplets of moisture, and apparently uh, we don't spread them among people if they are distanced far enough away from one another, so that if you can manage the harchokas nezokin, the distancing itself from uh, things that cause danger, to that extent you have eliminated, uh, to a very large extent, you have eliminated the, the danger. Uh, there is a letter of Rebbe Kiva that's very illuminating and applicable to these circumstances. It was during the time of the cholera epidemic. Uh, in uh, rabbinic writings, the, uh, the cholera, or in Yiddish they called it the cholera, was referred to as a chayli ra, kind of a transliteration of the word cholera. It was dangerous. And in Europe during the early 1930s, I seem to have read someplace that there were two million victims of cholera. Two million victims died of the cholera epidemic. Rebbe Kivaker was consulted by someone with regard to whether they should close the shuls, whether they should cancel Tfilibitsibur, and he wrote back a detailed letter in which he includes uh, advice both spiritual and practical. 
He gives them advice with regard to minimizing the danger of contagion, using disinfectants, uh, other things that would lessen the danger to individuals, and gives them a regimen of tefillahs, prayers to be recited and how to be recited, etc., etc. And as far as davening is concerned, he advises that people have minyonim, staggered, one after the other, beginning early in the morning, continuing till the latest time at which davening is appropriate, and then doing the same thing in the course of the afternoon for, for mincha. And that you have these minyonim, one following the other, and that the minyonim be limited to 15 people and not more. He even advises that they approach the civil authorities and ask them to station a policeman outside the shul so that as soon as the complement of 15 people are there, uh, the policeman would prevent other people from entering the shul. Now, in contemporary situations, uh, you know, shuls that have significant congregations usually have more than one room which is available for uh, for Tefillah B'Tzibur. And there's no reason why you can't have simultaneous minyonim, one in each of these rooms. And if necessary, you have uh, minyonim which are staggered during the course of the day. And I think that the rule of thumb should be that you allow as many people in the room as can sit comfortably uh, separated six feet from one another. That would seem to be a way of minimizing the danger. Now, Rebbe Kiveger, I think, was wrong with regard to his estimation of the danger of this chelira, the danger of cholera. Uh, he probably underestimated the danger of cholera. Uh, and had he known how dangerous it was, he probably would have advised isolation. Uh, I don't think that isolation is required in current situations, and that the fact that Rupert Kveger may have underestimated the danger that he was addressing uh, doesn't mean that he would have offered advice any different from the offer the advice the advice that he offered during the cholera epidemic where he confronted with something of the nature of the uh, present epidemic no, the present uh, cholera virus uh, the danger of the cholera virus is certainly no less of a danger that Rabbi Kveger thought he was addressing. And his advice is probably warranted under present circumstances, even though it might be, have been rather permissive in terms of the, of the situation that he was addressing. But in effect, if we go back to uh, the point Rabbi Unterman made before, in effect, what we are talking about uh, is a situation in which we're weighing the relevant values. 
the uh, the value that we place upon preventing contagion as well as the value we place upon tefillah If we are not prepared to accept any danger whatsoever, and there may be people who are not prepared to accept any danger whatsoever, and people who should not be prepared to accept any danger whatsoever. People who suffer respiratory illnesses, for them the danger is much, much too severe. Uh, they should be placing themselves in isolation or in quasi-isolation. They should not be going to shul to daven if there is any danger that they will contract the virus. On the other hand, most people are not placing themselves in strict isolation, nor is there reason for them to do so. The It's a balancing issue. The danger isn't all that great. It is great, but it's not all that great. And therefore, uh, they have to look at the other side of the equation. How important is Tfilah B'tzibur to them? How important is attending Ishir to them? And how important is fulfilling another mitzvah to these people? Uh, if it is as important as exposure to the virus in other situations in which they find it necessary to do so, uh, if situations in which they take the subway to get to work, situations in which they go to the supermarket in order to buy food, situations in which they expose themselves for even more frivolous reasons. If the Tilibisibur is as important as one of those activities is, then due precautions due precautions should be taken to minimize the uh, the danger to the point where it is acceptable risk in order to promote the value which they are seeking to promote. The Balaturim is telling us that as we recognize the purpose and function of Adonim to hold up a structure, and these are the poles that hold up the structure and are crucial in order to preserve the nature of the building in the mundane fashion. Similarly, the meyabrochis should serve in a spiritual function in exactly the same manner. They have to realize that brochis and tefillah are the supporting poles of our spiritual life and that we are calculating our values and we have to reckon one value against the other, we should assign at least the same weight to spiritual values as we assign to material values. The brachis, the tefillah b'tzibur, are crucial to our lives in the same way that adonim beams are necessary and crucial to a building. And when in making our decisions, we ought to be comparing the values one against the other and that spiritual values should count and be considered as important as material values that we seek to, to achieve. David HaMelech, in ordaining a hundred blessings for each day, recognized the prophylactic power of Brochus and of Tefillah. May the Rabbani Shalom grant all those who are sick a refuish Shleimah Bekorov, and may the merit of our Tefillah 
preserve us from any future malady and may this epidemic disappear quickly.